0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Feed Learning People Podcast, a podcast where fellow humans share their vulnerable moments and how they navigated sticky situations throughout their careers. We've all been there. So let's learn from each other. My name is Jesse, and today I'm here with
1: Jeff Fonslow. Hey, Jesse.
0: Hey. hey, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Today. Oh, my gosh.
1: Thanks for having uh, me.
0: Yeah, of course. So before we scan your resume, how do we know each other?
1: We work together at CBS. You were on yeah. the CBS Interactive yeah. side and I was on kind of the rest of the house side.
0: Yeah, awesome. So it was a pleasure partnering with you. We both have left CBS now and we'll talk more about that. So let's go ahead and get straight to it, to your resume. Sounds Can you good. scan your resume um, starting out from you know the beginning of your career to where you are now?
1: Sure. So I got into learning and development about 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. I was with a company called Annixter, which was a distributor of electronic wiring cable for networks and phone systems Mm -hmm. and had been in inside sales and marketing for a little while. And it was the time of those five year uh, plan conversations Mm -hmm. and accidentally got into training. And after teaching my first class, I was hooked. Uh, Started off as a professional sales trainer, and then moved into software, where I joined Siebel Systems. And that was really where I got my feet wet in regards to learning and development, and learned a lot around things like uh, instructional design and facilitation Mm -hmm. and all of those types of things. And there, I started to focus more on what I would call business productivity skills. So time management, presentation skills, those types Mm -hmm. of things. And uh, kind of worked my way up the ranks there. And after that, I left and went to Williams-Sonoma, where I was mm-hmm. the Pottery Barn store's training manager. And so that required me to kind of create training for each of the seasons to kind of get the store associates up to speed on the products for that season. And from there, jumped over back into software, at VMware, and have uh, was only there for a short time. But that was really where I started to focus primarily on management development. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, I joined CBS, where I was at for 12 years, started off as a manager of programs and basically ended up as the vice president of learning and development, overseeing mm-hmm. CBS University. And at the end of 2019, CBS and Viacom remerged, merged And as part of that, I was laid off in May of 2020, mm-hmm. took some time off, um, especially because the pandemic was going on and all of that type of stuff and started to look for a new job in corporate America. And one of the things that kept coming up and up was that I was overqualified for positions. And so uh, the universe kept giving me signs that I should start considering maybe (laughs) going into consulting. And so I've actually launched uh, my own company, Fon Solo Learning, LLC.
0: So that's the name. On yep.
1: solo learning,
0: I love it. Well, welcome to the other side. Welcome to the other. I'm so glad to have you because this means we can partner more in the future too. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So I know when we first talked um, about the podcast and preparing for the podcast, mm-hmm. you were still searching, mm-hmm. and now you've decided to take the leap into consulting. Yeah. Can you tell me more about like what influenced you to? Don't go back to corporate America and do your own thing.
1: You know, a lot of it was as I was looking for work, um, being told that I was overqualified. And I think part of that was due to having vice president on my resume. And -hmm. I think companies need to realize is that, yeah, a lot of times when you get to that point, you want to continue or even have a a higher trajectory. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: sometimes you also go, hey. I really want to just do the work and not necessarily focus on strategy and instructing others to do the work. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was looking at it going, I, I really like facilitation. I like creating programs. I like interacting with participants in classes. I like doing coaching assignments. And so I started to you know think about, could I do be a consultant? And at the same time, um, some friends of mine from CBS, uh, Catrice and Josh, who had started Right Size Media – had reached out saying they had some facilitation needs for some clients that they were working with and asked if I would be interested. And I, I told them absolutely, but it was kind of like I, I kept thinking in my mind, and I even said this to them, I'll do it, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking for an, another corporate gig. Mm-hmm. So then, as I mentioned earlier, I do think like the universe started to give me signs. And so as I was talking about working with RightSize on my LinkedIn page, then people started to reach out to me and other friends of mine like yourself uh, (laughs) that that are consultants were kind of like, Hey, this is really cool. Like, you know, let's, let's talk, maybe we can partner on stuff. And so that was interesting to me. And I joined a group that was started by a group of HR sales consultants Mm
2: -hmm. um,
1: in California. It was HR execs in transition. And the person who had invited me to that group after the first session, uh, the first meeting, they said, you know, write down all the companies you're reaching out to, what's been going on there, and then also what's your target list.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so when I circle back with Andrew, the, the gentleman who invited me, mm-hmm. uh, we we're going through the list. And I said, I'm kind of at a crossroads. I'm thinking about going towards corporate and kind of continuing that path. But I also feel like, I could go this consultant route and really focus more on like facilitation, creating programs and program management and those types of situations. And when I finished the statement, he said, Jeff, I think that sounds like a great idea. Mm -hmm. He said, if you were telling me you're going to start a coaching consultancy, I'd shoot you down right now because there's so many coaches out there (laughs) Uh and, you know, it's hard to really differentiate. It's a lot of relationship and that type of thing and and a a good fit. Um, And he said, a lot of them also are great doing kind of one-on-one relationships and conversations, but they're not good at facilitating classes of 20, 30 people. So Mm. he said, if you're good at that, and I'm assuming you are because you're going to go that route, I think it's a great idea. And so that was kind of like the final, okay, I should do this. When somebody who's in it as a salesperson who sells it, um, telling me, yeah, you should do this. I just went, okay. And (laughs) I've been super fortunate because, uh, I've got a very supportive husband who's, you know, helping me out on the finance Mm -hmm. side with books and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's not starting cold where I have to like learn about QuickBooks and all this kind of stuff. I've, I've got a lot of support. And so that kind of gave me the confidence to go, let's do this. And so here here we are.
0: Here we are. Why not? I'm so excited. (laughs) I am so excited there. Yeah. So you just had signs telling you, don't go back to corporate America.
1: Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. Go on your own. That's
0: awesome. Can we go back a little bit? I want to talk about CBS when you got laid off. Yeah. Um, Did you know it was coming, the layoff?
1: I suspected it was coming, okay. um, and part of it was because the, the group that I was working with was, while well, it was kind of still associated with CBS Interactive, which is headquartered mm-hmm. in SF, which you know, I was more kind of on the other side. So my not being in either New York or LA was a detriment. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then also, there didn't seem to be kind of a place for me moving forward. Yeah. And so I kind of suspected it was coming, but I didn't know 100 percent until about a week or two in advance.
0: When you got laid off uh, from CBS, um, what was going through your mind? How were you feeling during that time?
1: I got to say, it wasn't completely horrible. And I think part of that was because of what was going on in the world at that time. Like, I think getting laid off is a blow to somebody's ego. It, regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not you want it. You know, it's kind of, yeah. we, all, we all want people to say, hey, we really value what you do and we want you to be a part of our team. But at the same time, I was seeing so many people get laid off because of COVID and the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also a lot of my peers at CBS were getting laid mm-hmm. off because of the merger. So mm-hmm. it was really bittersweet. Um, it, it's more, you know, the people that that we worked with, um, that I really mm-hmm. miss the yeah. work. I, I feel like I'm going to continue doing the work. Obviously, not specific to Viacom CBS, but I'm still doing learning and development. Yeah. So, so for me, the getting laid off meant that I couldn't work with some really incredible people that I spent 12 years with, um, and we've kept in touch. But you know, it's it's that kind of having that team mm-hmm. um, that I really miss.
0: Yeah. Hey, but hey, you're, you're working with Catrice and Josh now, and you got to work with me, too.
1: So, so there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe slowly, but surely, we'll just we'll all have consultancies.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so from this experience, from, from being laid off mm-hmm. and then being um, rejected from positions because they're saying that you're overqualified, what did you learn from this whole experience?
1: One is to really utilize your network. Mm-hmm. Um, can't express that enough. You definitely need to have the skills, the technical skills to be able to do the job. But mm-hmm. what I'm also finding out is the more that you know people, the better off that's going to be. And it's something that I think we all know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, that really resonated because as I started to reach out to my network, that was kind of some of the support that I was getting to, to go this path.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so I think that that's key. I think you also have to realize it's not personal.
2: Uh Mm -hmm. and it's
1: hard not to because it's our work it's our careers it's our professions we've obviously got ego tied to it but i think if you start to get resentful that's going to also come across Mm -hmm. when you're talking to companies and things like that and you know a lot of times the rejection isn't necessarily forever like it could be Mm -hmm. a hey this isn't the right time now but please circle back with us so i think I I think it's not necessarily looking at it like it's a definitive or that Mm -hmm. um, you're doing something wrong.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you about don't take it personally because it's it's hard to not take it personally because you may naturally think, man, am I not good enough for this job? Is that why they didn't choose me? Yeah. But there's so many other things that maybe you were applying a little bit later. They already made a decision or maybe, um, I don't know, they didn't like your hair that day. Like there's so so many biases from the recruiter and the hiring manager themselves, right? Or maybe sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. It wasn't a culture fit for you and you just felt too desperate to take any job, right. um, but sometimes it's a blessing in disguise that you didn't get that job. So sometimes it's not a fit now, but maybe in the future. So that network and that relationship building, I find that important. I heard somewhere, I don't know where I got this from, but your your network is your net worth, right? So the more people uh, you, know, the, you know, you can build that net worth there. So being part of HR, did you ever feel like people had to be buttoned up around you because they... Found out that you were on the HRT. Did, that, <laughs> did you ever feel that way? Although yes. you're LND, you're not no, like an HRPD no, or no, no, anything. No. Yeah.
1: A- a- absolutely. I mean, uh-huh. uh, um, great story. So okay. I play drums in a band, as you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm at practice one night, and my bass player comes in, and he works for uh, Parks and Recs for San Francisco. Uh-huh. And at the time, the that that guitar player, we have a new guy now, but that guitar player is working for Apple, and so. My bass player comes in one night, and he's just... Pissed off, like just had a bad day at work, and mm-hmm. he's like, "HR's making me do blah 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 blah, blah. And I, I forget <laughs> what the situation was, but he was just railing on HR. And mm-hmm. then my guitar player's like, "Oh yeah, HR's the worst." Like, and you know, it's like the people that don't really know how to do anything, and they're just you know, they just have policy and all this kind of stuff. Uh, uh-huh. And I'm just sitting there like super quiet the whole time, and, and, and I'm not offended by any means because yeah, I mean, we all know. That that like every job has people that either excel at it or that Mm -hmm. are crappy at it. So Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I I didn't take offense at all, but they're like, okay, well, I guess we should start playing. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But before we jump into the song, just want to let you know, I'm in HR. (laughs) And they're like, no, you're not. You're in learning and development. And I said, in HR. I'm like, guys, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. There's a lot of bad people in HR. But there's a lot of bad people in every role. Um, So I think it was funny, though, because I would get that a lot. Like, But no, Mm -hmm. you're learning and development. Uh-huh. Um, and the, and then and sometimes I would actually use it as a joke. Like they'd, they'd be like, HR is here and I'd be like, God, yeah. I'm learning and development. Come on. Yeah. So I, I yeah. can play it both ways.
0: Many times uh, for me myself, like I've been in an elevator or I've been in a room where they're like, hey, she's in HR, just you know, don't say anything. I'm like, come on, I'm in learning and development. I'm on the good side of HR. Like I try to I try to sometimes distance myself from HR. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, anyways, it's uh, funny to share those type of stories. Okay, so let's talk about learning and development. Um, What does it mean to be in learning and development and what does your job typically entail?
1: So when I got started, I would say learning and development at that time was really about being the quote unquote sage on the stage. You know, I've got all the answers, Mm -hmm. I can tell you how Mm -hmm. to do this and that type of thing. And as I've built it into my career, I'm realizing that that is not the case anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. Learning and development is about helping people. It's about connecting people to resources, whether that be uh, some kind of training. It could be a person, could be some kind of resource that would be within the company. But I look at it as being a way to develop people, both employees as well as managers, and to, to help them not only on their kind of what they're doing currently in their role, but to prepare them for the future and realizing that they mm-hmm. may not always work for that company, but it's really helping them kind of where they're at today to get mm-hmm. ready for tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. And we're also the good people of HR. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, can you fill in the blank? Um, to succeed in learning and development, you need to be able to...
1: I don't know that it's one thing. I mean, yeah, I really focus on kind of the helping people side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a portion of you that needs to be a little bit flexible um, because a lot of times it's being able to kind of think on your feet and mm-hmm. be able to adapt to the situation um,
2: mm-hmm. as you
1: know, and, and you've probably seen when you were at CBS and elsewhere that you know, a lot of times people look at training as being the answer Sometimes mm-hmm. it absolutely is. Yeah. But sometimes it's kind of like I could put you through 10 training classes on that topic and it's not going to make you better at X. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's that. It's also really just kind of being open um, to possibilities. And, you know, we, we've jokingly said about, you know, we're the good side of HR. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of it is partnering with HR business partners who have a really tough job because they're basically on call 24-7 practically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, it's being able to work with different personalities, um, Yeah. realizing that sometimes people are going to look at you more as a cost center than they're going to look mm-hmm. at you as a resource that can get results for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: so I, I think there's like a, a, a variety of things you have to be to be successful in L&D. It can't yeah. just be one thing.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that That flexibility, that variety, is because you're dealing with people, right? And you're dealing with people learning and everyone learns a different way as well. And that flexibility is important. And I wanna hone in on what you said about people, sometimes people think training is the answer. I get that so (laughs) much, I hate that. It's like, oh, you know, sales are down. We need training, we need sales training. Is that really it? Or is there like some underlying cause why, you know? So it could be the manager. It could be the onboarding process. It could be the processes. Right. Just for everyone listening, training is not always the answer, (laughs) but it could help. Okay. So what would you say are the challenges um, in your job?
1: I think being able to say no. Um, so going mm-hmm. back to what we were just talking about is sometimes it's, it's explaining, hey, I don't think training is going to be the solution here, but let's look mm-hmm. at some other alternatives, like maybe job shadowing mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think for me, it, at least when I was at CBS, mm-hmm. um, part of the challenge was that we were a lean and mean team. Mm-hmm. So, on the. Yeah,
0: you, was it just you and Pear?
1: Yeah, it was just Pear and, and I Vanessa, for, for the longest time. And then Vanessa joined us. And then we had Chris on our team for, I think, a little under a year. And then when everything happened with Viacom, we kind of all went our separate ways.
0: So, you're looking about 12, 13,000 employees that you're overseeing learning and development for. And your team was, what, two at one point?
1: Yep. So, you know, it, it just meant that I had to be a jack of all trades and, you know, we, we had to be, okay, uh, some days I'm working on getting mm-hmm. the LMS up and running or putting in classes into the LMS. Other times I'm doing all the invoices and trying to make sure our vendors get paid and because obviously I had to use vendors because we couldn't necessarily teach all the classes ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing coaching assignments and 360 assessments and getting mm-hmm. and helping HR get ready for performance management season and, you know, all of those yeah. things. Things.
0: Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it's, it <laughs> it, it,
1: you know, that that was challenging, but it was also uh-huh. a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Know, I, I, again, worked on a great team and not just pair and I and, and you and, mm-hmm. and all that, but you know, the HR team there, I, I really just thrived with, you know, I, I felt like we had a lot of really strong relationships and a lot of really strong, smart people. Um, and so that helped. It didn't Look, don't get me wrong, there were definitely days where I'm just like, I'm bald for a reason. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the days of you know just doing some really good work and getting to work with some amazing professionals made uh-huh. it all worth it.
0: What gets you excited? You've been doing this for, what, you said, like 25 years or so yeah. now? Yeah. There's a reason why you're in, still here uh, in L&D. So uh, what gets you excited about this field?
1: Uh, I love helping people. I love seeing mm-hmm. light bulbs go off over people's mm-hmm. head or when mm-hmm. they make that connection of, I didn't know this then, but I know this now. And mm-hmm. just that look alone um, mm-hmm. is really powerful. I love interacting with people. You know, It's kind of cliche to say, I'm a people person.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but, I, but I really kind of am. Like yeah. When I'm doing a 360 assessment, I, I loved... Having the conversation, but also kind of setting up the person so they weren't concerned about it. Because oftentimes when I would say, you know, you've been selected for a 360, they'd be like, what did I do wrong?
2: Or
1: Mm, are are you just trying to manage me out type of thing? And I'm like, no, this is a good thing. Like, this means we want to invest in you and we want to, you know, find out what you're doing really good and have Mm -hmm. you continue doing that. But find out what you're not doing so good and figure out ways Mm -hmm. to address it. Yeah. You know, so it, it was it was. I think the thing that I really like about it is it's not the same day every day. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. when I was at CBS, I was doing so many different things every day that no two days were the same. And and that got me really excited moving forward. Now it's kind of being able to do it, but also to be able to kind of focus a little bit more on it. Because again, having to kind of keep track of so many different things at CBS, Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to kind of focus on just management development or DEI programs or that Mm -hmm. type of thing. And now um, that I've started my own company. Like I can't, mm. yeah. so, so that's exciting. Like I, I wake up now and it's, again, it, it's, it's not to say that corporate is bad, but I just wake mm. up thinking like, cool, what do I get to do today? <laughs> um, yeah. and it, you know, like I, I start thinking about, okay, what do I want to do for this presentation or that, or I got this idea and, and just starting the day really excited.
0: Yeah, you get to use your creativity and learning and development, too. It's really exciting. So many things to do to to help others. Absolutely. Um, What is something you're most proud of?
1: I mean, super proud of the band. Um, Super proud that, you know, my husband and I have been together for 23 years.
0: Wow, congrats.
1: Thanks. Um, You know... really proud that i've got a, a good group of friends and a and a, a good network of people that mm. i like and love and support and feel the the same from them so mm. it's there, there's a lot of things like it's it's not an individual thing but it, it kind of all comes together
0: it just seems like you're a happy person jeff and you've done the right things to surround yourself with good people who support you and And I think that's something absolutely to be proud of
1: as well. And and I, I, you know, I, I I like that you, or that you've said that because I do think, you know, there's a Covey quote about carrying your weather with you. And, Mm -hmm. and I really do believe that like what you put out in the world, you get back. And if you're going to be positive, you're gonna, a lot of times get positive responses. Like I, I think about like when I'm walking one or both the dogs and I, see people and I'll be like, hey, good morning, how are you? You know, and it, it doesn't take that much to say good morning and give somebody a mm-hmm. smile and, and that type of thing. And yet, you know, so other people are just like, ah, oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> if you put negativity out there, you get it back. So, you know, I, I do believe in carrying my weather with me.
0: I'm curious to know, how do you define success? So for me at one point in time, success for me, and I think this had a lot to do with my upbringing, uh, Vietnamese parents, you know, they're, they're comparing their kids to other <laughs> other friends' kids. It's like your title, money that you make, like they want to be able to show off to their friends how successful, quote unquote, their kids are. So at, at one point in time, I wanted the highest title I could get. I wanted the most money I could get. And if I wasn't making enough money or I wasn't making as much as my friends, my age... It's like, I felt like I wasn't doing well. Um, That has changed now since I have a family and whatnot. Um, But just wondering in your case, like, how do you define success? Is it salary, title, happiness? What is it?
1: I think it's always been happiness Mm -hmm. uh, because I want to do something that I like to do. And I feel fortunate that I've been able to build a career and something that I like to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're definitely much like you. There was a time... Salary, sometimes. Um, Title, definitely. So Mm -hmm. there's a time where uh, a friend and I, we were both kind of talking about, like, yeah, we're on the path to become directors. Like, can't wait (laughs) to be a director. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It just... Mm -hmm now it's so, I think maybe because of all the overqualified comments, like I'm so not concerned about my title, call me chief bottle washer and I'm going to be okay. <laughs> as long as we're getting to work together yeah. and do some cool stuff
0: yeah, uh, and yeah. make an impact.
1: So for me, it, it's really happiness. And I think that's one of the things that also led me to consulting is just mm-hmm. the idea of being able to kind of make my own schedule. And, mm-hmm. you know, I get to choose the things I want to do rather than pair saying, okay, well, I need you to test the compliance training and make sure it works. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, needs to be done. However, yeah. you know, it's it just now I get to kind of go, okay, what am I working on today? What do I want to focus on? And who do I want to reach out to? And, and so it just, that provides happiness as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the flexibility of what we can do now with consulting. Uh, What I'm planning to do after this podcast recording, Jeff, is I'm going to take a nap, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. It is so great. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I just want to take a quick break to tell you a little bit more about Feed Learning. Feed Learning is a learning and organizational development firm, and we help build better teams through virtual training facilitation, coaching, instructional design, and also consulting. We have a lot of great classes, such as behavioral-based interviewing, powerful presentations, and also communicating with empathy. To learn more about us, check us out at feedlearning.com or follow us on LinkedIn for career development resources. Now back to the show with Jeff. Jeff, I know what you look like, uh, but for the listeners who have not met you before, um, can you describe yourself in terms of race, ethnicity, gender, what you look like, basically.
1: (laughs) So I am a cisgender, gay, white male. I am part of Generation X, although I would say I'm more cuspish because sometimes I see Generation X starting in 67, other times it's 66 Mm -hmm. or 65. So um, I'm kind of like right there. And and I Mm -hmm. definitely see a little baby boomer in me. just, but uh, I definitely am well into Gen X though. Uh, I'm bald and <laughs> have a beard that depending upon the time of year may get bushier. Right now it's kind of mm-hmm. close to my face. And I'm uh, about 5'10".
0: Okay. In a world today, you know how it's, there's like this division between the white man and the rest of the world, like people of color and so. Do you see yourself as a white male, or because you are a man who is gay, do you put yourself in the underrepresented class? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, it's a little of both. I, I'd be uh-huh. foolish if I didn't realize that my white maleness didn't give me advantage. It absolutely does. Um, however, the the gay side, I mean, it. it for me, when I teach about belonging, one of the examples I give is that when I first was in l and I wasn't out. And so mm-hmm. I'd be teaching classes with peers and they'd be giving examples of interactions they had with their spouse or significant other. And mm-hmm. because I wasn't out, I was kind of concerned, like, well, how are people going to look at me? How are they going to respond to that? Like, they they don't know that I'm this. And so if I all of a sudden say this, like how's that going to impact my performance ratings and all of that kind of stuff. And so I I was basically almost twisting myself in a pretzel to be able to give examples that included Kevin, my my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'd be something like, oh, you know, a friend of mine or, you know, those types Uh... of things. I I never said like my wife or anything like I never acted like I had a girlfriend, Um, but I just, I didn't have that. And once I came out and was okay with people at work knowing about it, then it was like my classes were better because I was focused on the content and relaying experiences that would impact the the participants rather than trying to figure out how I could shelter myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I, I do feel that, you know, part of the, there's a little bit that I look at as being the, you know, less represented type of thing. But again, mm-hmm. I, I think, I've I've got to acknowledge that I am a white male and that gives me some privilege. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of privilege.
0: Thanks for acknowledging that as well. I think that's admirable that you you can, you feel comfortable saying that too. I do want to talk about like your work with Catrice and So our colleagues, our mutual colleagues. So you're doing diversity courses for them. Is that correct? That's correct. How does it feel like to be a, a, white male teaching diversity courses. So, Do you feel awkward doing that?
1: So, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh-huh. As I started to get into it, I did. Uh, not necessarily <laughs> with them, but at CBS is where I really started to, to get into the diversity and inclusion space. And Catrice and I had actually created and delivered classes together around it. And, and initially I was a little bit like, okay. Um, and I didn't even really do this. At CBS, Not that I, I was mm-hmm. in the closet, but I just never really talked about my sexuality because it was an hour and a half long class. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the session that I I recently did for them, that was the example that I just gave you about bending myself into a pretzel. I've actually mm-hmm. put into the class to kind of sh- say, like, again, I'm not going to lead with, hey, just so you know, I'm gay. So it's OK that I'm a white male and delivering this. But, you know, if you're paying attention, you're going to realize I am.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm.
1: so with that, like, I I don't feel it anymore. And it's interesting because I've been on a a lot of kind of networking calls and like short Mm -hmm. webinars where people are talking about uh, learning and development and how we can help with the EI types of initiatives. And Mm -hmm. so many of the people are white Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: they're super concerned about saying the wrong thing and they're not sure how to be an ally. And I, I feel really fortunate because... I realize, like, hey, having the conversation is more important than saying necessarily the right thing the first time out. Mm-hmm. We're going to step in it. We're going to make mistakes, regardless of whether it's a tense conversation or not. And so when we do, that's where we apologize. And we, if we do it genuinely, that's fine. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like the work is so important that hopefully my being a white male is minimized by the messaging and the conversations that we're yeah.
0: having. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think that also, like many times when having these conversations, um, the focus is a lot on the underrepresented group, the uh, POCs, and sometimes we even exclude the white male. Like sometimes the way things are taught, the white male <laughs> feels exclude itself. But um, I, I think it's great that we're starting these conversations and um, you're, you're showing how people can be allies, no matter, you know, what color you are, what ethnicity you are, and so on. So, Um, Awesome. Awesome. I I want to learn more about how you view the world and people and how you resolve conflicts. So when it comes to solving people related problems in the workplace, like resolving disagreements between your peers or managers and so on, uh, just what's your general thought process when you're resolving conflict?
1: I think if you kind of stop to try and think like, why does this person feel this way or think this way? Like, mm-hmm. what is it that I'm not seeing or what do they know that I don't know? I mm-hmm. think that is a really good way to go into it. Now, unfortunately, when we get into disagreements, the amygdala kicks in and we get in fight or flight. And it's interesting because I talk about this in the DEI sessions and you know, caveman times, yeah, that was life or death. We needed fight mm-hmm. or flight. Now what's interesting is that the fight is all around our ego. It's all mm-hmm. around being mm-hmm. Right. And so I think you need to take that step back and go, what does this other person see that I'm not seeing? Um, Mm -hmm. And especially when it is a workplace agreement or disagreement, I think it's, you know, if it's with a peer, again, going in, it's going, all right, I have a good relationship with this peer. So what is it about this situation that is kind of creating the tension between us or, you know, what have I said or done that I might need to change? And I think it's also being open to that. Like it can't always be the other person's wrong. Now, I'm not also a believer that the customer is always right. Because if you say the customer is always right, that means your employee is always wrong.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So I do think that like there is some blame that can be kind of given back and forth. But I think that is where we can get into problems is if we're focused more on the blame and being right rather than focusing on what's going to get us the best results so that we can move forward and continue having a positive relationship together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like how you you start with uh, essentially like with, with empathy, like having that curiosity to know what they're thinking yeah. and why did, why they're thinking that way as well. I think um, that helps resolve so much conflict so much sooner than, than not starting with that empathy side first. Yeah. Have you ever had, to have difficult conversations with strong personalities, perhaps a manager in the past, a higher up, or even colleagues in the past?
1: Um, yes. Okay, okay, okay. All right, tell me more.
0: Uh, What what happened?
1: Jesse, you taught behavioral interviewing. You know to ask open (laughs) questions, not closed questions.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Okay, what happened? How did you handle this situation? What did you learn from the experience?
1: So, um... So there are actually two examples. Um, The the first is when I was at CBS, Mm -hmm. and uh, at the time, Pear, my boss, had decided to take a convenient eight month sabbatical and (laughs) tour the world with his family. Eight months. Yep. So uh, for uh, uh, for about. Eight months, I was a one-man team. So mm-hmm. that, that was wow. uh, so fun. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I got bald. Um, <laughs> but so we were putting together a kind of rotational program for the head of the network. Mm-hmm. Um, she had seen a similar program elsewhere and said, I'd like to have something like this for CBS employees. And Pear conveniently you know, teed it up and kind of got the blessing for it from the powers that be. Right as he was walking out the door to go on this sabbatical. And so Mm -hmm. I was handed over the project. And there was one call in particular that I remember where I'm talking with the head of the network and the HR person that I was partnered up on for the project. And I don't remember the specifics, but she was wanting to do things that either wouldn't be instructionally sound um, or wouldn't necessarily get us to the results we wanted It was just kind of, I kept going, well, no, you know, we we can't do that because this would happen and blah, blah, blah. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And obviously the head of the network wasn't used to being told no. (laughs) And I, I, you know, I wasn't being aggressive or anything. I was just kind of thinking to myself, you, you have me on this project because Mm -hmm. this is my expertise. So I'm giving Mm -hmm. you my expertise much like I would anticipate if I was creating a television show Mm -hmm. and you had feedback, like that would be your expertise. Um, And I could hear her getting a little frustrated. Yeah. And I found out afterwards in talking to the HR person that was in the room with her that she said, Who is this guy? Does he not know who I am? (laughs)
0: <laughs> and you had did you know who she was at the oh, time i
1: knew who she was oh yeah but again i just thought i'm i'm <laughs> doing this project you came to L and D because yeah. it's you're looking for our expertise in doing this mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so you know i don't want to necessarily drive us off the cliff just because you're thinking that this is a good thing like i'm trying to give you my best guidance
0: yeah
1: yeah um and so next time i was down in la because i was i was actually in a car going from uh Manhattan to JFK to, pe- to catch a flight home mm-hmm. next time I was down in LA I, I did poke my head into her office and I just said hey you know sorry about that before I I w- was trying to give you like my guidance and my counsel
2: mm-hmm.
1: um I'm not trying to just push back to push back sake um and she said I, I really appreciate that and but these are things that are going to be really important so I would really appreciate if we could figure out a way to do it um Now, you know, it's interesting because I just gave that example Mm -hmm. about the curiosity. I think if we both would have taken a step back when we were on that phone call and said, okay, wait, I'm feeling like there's some tension here or there's frustration. What what can we do to alleviate that? We would have gotten to the same point. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I was new with working with her. She was new with working with me. So it was just one of those situations that fortunately turned out really good, but at the time didn't feel so good.
0: I find that when... When you meet someone new and you really butt heads with them, you become like really good working buddies with them afterwards. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you kind of get you know get that negative uh, relationship out of the way, and you're able to build it from there. It's uh, funny to- that you
1: say that because the other story I have is at a previous company prior to CBS, uh-huh. and I was creating a program. Uh, and was kind of running past running the program past my manager Mm -hmm. and we got kind of not heated like i've never been in a situation at work where i've been yelling at somebody Mm -hmm. but definitely i can't see
0: you yelling at
1: anyone you don't seem like the yelling type but but i could definitely like sense like we're butting heads here Mm -hmm. like this is Mm -hmm. not a, a healthy conversation
2: yeah
1: and uh she looked at me and she goes, "You know, I really took a chance bringing someone of your age in here." And I was What's just kind of like, "Supposed to me." <laughs> I thought the same thing and had I not like had I been more rational, uh-huh. I, I would have looked at her and been like, "You know that I have no idea if you're saying I'm too old or too young."
0: Uh-huh. B-
1: but that's age discrimination and oh, by the way, you're part of HR. <laughs> so, um you know, it was just, it was one of those situations. I, I still remember it to this day. I could tell you the conference room we were in. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's its one of those things. Look, I, I try to let things go, but there's things if it really, really bugs me, I'll, I i can't. You know, I, I, I won't hold it against the person to be like, oh, yeah, you did this eight years, ten years ago. But I'll be thinking it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so that was, you know, its just it was just not a good situation.
0: Mm-hmm. In those situations, like in general, when you're dealing with strong personalities, do you feel like you can always resolve it? Like it seems like the second one, the second story that you shared, um, did you do anything with it, with that? And you know, I, I that didn't situation? do anything with that conversation. Uh huh. Uh-huh.
1: But I left the organization shortly thereafter.
0: Ah, uh, okay, okay. Do you do you feel that every relationship can be resolved or is it sometimes you just you just have to bite your tongue and deal with the person or leave the company you know
1: I I, I wish I could say everyone could be resolved uh-huh. uh, but I, I don't think I believe that I think I think there is times where you're gonna say look we just need to agree to disagree and go our separate ways
0: yeah 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 I agree with that too um, we, we know that a manager makes or breaks the ex- the experience of the employee at work. So like, did you feel you were less productive?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Contributed less. Yeah, So, what was going through your thought process there? You know, I I guess maybe on a plus side was the idea that Mm -hmm. um, I knew she would grill me. So I was, Mm -hmm. I I tried to approach our conversations and our interactions and our meetings uh, to be fully prepared. So, mm-hmm. so that was mm-hmm. a plus side. Um, I think you know, the negative side of that was it was out of fear. It was out of, okay, well, I know that I'm going to get talked down if I don't have this answer, so I, I need to be prepared. Um, I didn't feel like I did my best work. I didn't feel that I was looked at as being smart or that I added value. Um, it was mm-hmm. literally the shortest tenure of my career as far as the company. Um, mm, mm. and it was so interesting because the, the person I went to work for was like 180 degrees different where I could just mm-hmm. felt like that person had my back and supported me yeah. and, and, you know, would, would, would take a bullet. Uh, you know, I mean, and it's just, as you said, the manager can have such an impact on whether somebody stays or leaves. Mm-hmm. And with her, I was just like, I couldn't get out quick enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, with, with. The other manager was just kind of like, "Wow, okay, what do you want me to do?" And, <laughs> and the great thing too was, you know, that the manager that I went to um, ultimately kind of looked at us as peers. With mm-hmm. with the previous manager, it was very much we worked for her. Um,
0: oh yeah. And so you
1: yeah. know, initially when I'd be introducing my manager to somebody I was working with, I'd be like, "Oh, this is this is my manager, And so and they'd be like, "Oh, well." And and he would look at the the person and be like, no, we work together. Yeah. You know, just having that type of experience was so powerful. Mm
0: -hmm. I appreciate managers who see it as a partnership, the relationship between the employee and themselves. is like partnership more so than manager, employee. You report to me. Yeah, I I find it more powerful as that partnership side. Are you ready for lightning round?
1: Ooh, sure. Let's go for it.
0: Jeff, yes. what was your very, very, very first job?
1: I was a paperboy. Oh, how old were you? I was 12 years old. I took over my sister's route when she went to college.
0: I never knew a paperboy. I hear about paper <laughs>
1: boys, but I never met one.
0: OK, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: So ironically, I wanted to initially be a teacher. Um, Mm. But I looked at all the schooling that you had to go through, and I was just like, you know, Uh, to go through all that and then, and to not make a lot of money, but then the other thing that I always wanted to be, and I still do, is a rock and roll drummer.
0: Oh, you're basically a rock and roll drummer already,
1: right? I am, I just don't make (laughs) much, if any, money, at it. Okay, okay.
0: (laughs) What college did you go to, and what was your major?
1: I went to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio and I was Mm -hmm. in telecommunications.
0: What do or did your parents do for work?
1: My mom was a housewife and mother, and my dad Mm -hmm. sold metal buildings like warehouses and factories.
0: What did your parents want
1: you to be? You know, they were really supportive of whatever I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there could have been careers that I chose that they were kind of like, really? Uh, But they never really put any kind of huge expectations on my sister and I. Like, it wasn't like, we want you to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Um, They just wanted Uh, us to be happy.
0: I wish more Asian parents could listen to that answer. (laughs) 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 If money wasn't an issue and you could be anything you wanted to be, what would it be? Is it that rock and roll drummer? Yep.
1: And even maybe not just rock and roll, I think, you know, just being a musician and and being able to play Mm -hmm. with different artists and, you know, make music.
0: Best drummer of all time?
1: Um, I'm gonna go with Bonham, John Bonham, though I think Neil Peart is easily a close second Mm -hmm. and there's a bunch of other drummers that are close seconds and thirds to to those guys, but uh, those two are kind of like the holy grail.
0: If you are having dinner with an acquaintance, so not a close friend, and they had spinach stuck in their front teeth. What would you tell them?
1: Do I like the acquaintance? Yes. Then yes. What no, if no? no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell them regardless.
0: What is something you wish you learned how to do?
1: Speak another language.
0: Okay, can you say ciao? Ciao. There you go, you spoke Vietnamese. Sweet. Add to, add to your <laughs> resume. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna end it with advice. Sure. What is your advice for someone who wants to grow and develop their
1: career? Don't think of it as a linear process. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think this is really kind of seeing how the work world has changed since I entered it so many years ago. Um, And at that time, it was kind of like, okay, I'm an individual contributor. I make it to the top of being an individual contributor. Then I become a manager. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. it's almost like I finish high school and then I go to college. Well, that's Mm -hmm. not the path for everyone. So I think it's, you know, look for opportunities that are going to grow you and develop you. Um, don't feel that you have to necessarily go uh, in, a, in that line. You can say, all right, well, I'm doing this now, but this also interests me. So how do I kind of get over to here to learn this stuff? And then maybe there's going to be something else that, that's really exciting. So it's, it's not always just going to be that path. I think also, you know, building your network. Um, it's so important because people can come to you with opportunities and say hey you know you're doing this now have you thought about doing that Um, and that's really what happened for me getting into training having that five-year conversation the the HR person said you know where do you see yourself I said either outside sales major accounts or maybe running a branch and she said do you ever think about learning and development you know had we not had that conversation I'd probably still be in that industry and Mm -hmm. in some kind of sales role maybe so um, I also think it's you know if you want to stay with an organization explore uh, aspects of that organization so I remember uh, when I was doing training at Showtime and and we would have a leadership panel come in and it'd usually be like the C level or the SVP level um, and it would allow the participants to ask them questions and one of the guys who was the head of sales, he'd gone through various different roles. He didn't just like start in sales and, you know, kind of get to that trajectory. He went mm-hmm. from sales into marketing and, you know, all these different areas. I think that that can be really great because it gives you different areas of the business to understand kind mm-hmm. of what that's like. But I do think it's important to know kind of what you are looking for, um, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times it's. You know you, you think it's this thing but it might be something else and so it's it's really having kind of a, a clear destination in mind I I volunteer for the San Francisco job forum and they do weekly panels to help job seekers uh, better their search so to speak and so many people will be like well I think I want to do this but I could also mm-hmm. do this and and the advice that and it's not me giving it I'm it's this panel of peers that are really intelligent that are in sourcing and all that type of stuff that will say, you need to have a clear idea. You can't go in and be like, well, Mm -hmm. I could do this or I could do that because the company's going to know that they're going to sense that and they're going to say, this person doesn't know what they want to do, or they're using this role to get into the organization, but they're probably going to stay in it long enough to find another role.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: So it's it's really just being flexible.
0: What about for people who, don't have a clear vision of what they want to do. Like any advice on how they could find
1: that? I think part of it's having conversations. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I think it's going to you know you the people that you go to for advice and feedback mm-hmm. and having that yeah. conversation and you know and and sometimes it's even being like hey what do you think I'm good at um, and, and getting advice from others. Other people may kind of do it more internally more kind of self-focused and and sit down and be like, okay, well, I'm here. How do I get to there? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I it, it, it's not always clear. It's, it's interesting to me because, again, in those conversations where it's like, what do you want to be? As you saw at CBS Interactive and I saw at CBS and other companies, like there's a lot of times where like the role doesn't exist yet. So mm-hmm, it's almost mm-hmm. tough for the individual to say, I want to be this because – if I look at the org chart right now, that doesn't exist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In those instances, that's where I really uh, think people should position themselves like, hey, what if we did something like this? If we created this role? Because I've seen people do that in the past where they've kind of created their own roles based upon what they want mm-hmm. to do. Now, obviously, you need to have some kind of business rationale towards that. Yeah. But I think that that can also be something like don't necessarily just go by the titles or the positions that are available. If you see a gap and you think that you can address it and it makes business sense, bring it up because more often than not, the, the company's going to go, yeah, let's do that. Thank you for bringing it to our attention.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think thinking of it in sense of what you want to be doing versus a title. Yeah. Uh, right. That would be helpful. But also when you said about just just having conversations, just talking to people that a lot of things that I know. It's just from conversations. Yeah. Um, the other day I had someone ask me like, "How do you know so much about competencies or whatever I was helping with?" And I was like, just talking to people. Like I'm not much of a reader, really. Yeah. I read a, a little bit here and there. But the more conversations that you have, the more ideas you're bouncing off of each other, and the more that you really internalize and learn a, a lot about yourself as well. Yeah. So I think those relationships are important. Um, what advice would you give to a new manager? Who doesn't know how to be a good manager or doesn't know where to start out?
1: First off is not trying to do everything. Um, Mm -hmm. You're in this management role now. That means some things are going to have to fall by the wayside. Um, I would also say, you know, be open and honest with the people that report into you. Make time for them. Um, To me, it's always been amazing to see managers that are kind of like, well, you know, they're they're good. I, I've got my own stuff I've got to get done. Part of being mm-hmm. a manager is like being a parent. Like you, you didn't have a kid and then go, hey kid, I had you, now go figure it out. And if you have any questions, like come to me. But mm-hmm. other than that, you're good. Um, and, and the same thing in the work world. Like the manager should be finding ways to develop his or her people and, and looking for opportunities for them. Um, don't take all the, the praise. Realize that when somebody is praising somebody on your team, that is a reflection on you. That means you're Mm -hmm. doing your job. Uh, I think, you know, too often managers think like, okay, well at least before I could say, I did this, I did this, I did this. Management is not one of those check the box task list Mm -hmm. exercises. You know, Mm -hmm. you can't say like, okay, uh, today I'm gonna make Jesse feel like a valued employee. (laughs) You know, but that should be part of your, what you're trying to do. There's a lot of intangibles. Um, and mm-hmm. so you, you need to kind of get comfortable with that as well and realize, again, that kind of the results that the team achieves is that tangible reflection on you. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know what? They're probably the ones that are going to get the, the praises and the atta boys and the atta girls. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Again, mm-hmm. like take your ego out of it and realize that you're mm-hmm. helping these people and they're helping you in return. Um, I, I can't say enough of like how great Pear was to work with and one of the first conversations he had with me is like i want you to take chances he's like if you go and take a chance and it fails but you went in with like the best intentions and you and you really thought that it was going to be successful and you were trying something new i'm going to have mm-hmm. your back regardless of who at wow. the top of the chain complains mm-hmm. about it that is so powerful you know that's why I'm like I would I literally would take a bullet for the guy because there, there's that kind of trust and respect from him that just made me feel great.
0: Yeah, and that empowerment. Yeah. just you get to do what you feel that you're good at. Yeah, and and be able to perform. That's that's very powerful for a manager to say that. Yeah. What is your advice for someone who wants to learn how to play the drums, Jeff?
1: Well, I I actually I. Fully support it. Um, okay. And, and the reason why I'm kind of starting off with that is, you know, over <laughs> the years playing a musical instrument has kind of less focus. I, I would actually mm-hmm. say probably it's it's more likely that you're going to see uh, somebody in high school learning a new language rather than learning an instrument.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I, I, lots of things can be out there. Uh, but somebody who actually wants to play an instrument, I, I'm all for it. I would say, you know, look for someone, it depends on obviously their, their age. Um, so if they can, if they can take it in school, by all means do so. That's how I got started. Uh, if they're older, I'd say, you know, go down to one of your local music stores and, and talk to the, the drum teachers down there, find somebody that you feel comfortable with, um, mm-hmm. and, and take some lessons.
0: Did I ever tell you I I used to play drums? No. I was in a band. I was in a girl band, all girls band, back in high school. Sweet. Uh, crispy avocados. That Ooh. was our name. Very Ooh. embarrassing. We uh we did a lot of battle of the bands, but uh I suck at drums. I can't keep a beat. <laughs> I don't know why I was a drummer. <laughs> I think the the guitars and the bass player they're always, um frustrated because I I always go faster. <laughs>
1: towards the end of the song. (laughs) So I I was the same way. And in fact, in high school, I can still remember being at a band practice and Uh we finished a song and my bass player looks at me and he goes, yeah, let's race to the end, Jeff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so last question. Where can people find you, Jeff? So I know you have a new consulting business and you also are a drummer in the band. So tell us more. You know, do you have a website, where can we find you, where can people reach you, and so on.
1: So I'm in the process of setting up my website, which will be mm-hmm. FonSoloLearning.com. Um, How do you spell that? That is F is in Frank, A-N, S is in Sam, O-L-O, Learning.com. Okay. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, under my personal profile. I haven't set up the, the company profile yet. Fifth mm-hmm. uh, is can be found on Facebook. We're also, you know, on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, all that kind of listen,
0: stuff. Listen, listen up, everyone! Everyone, <laughs> go on Spotify. T H I T H. This guy can drum, and he's a performer and an entertainer. Do y'all always wear pajamas when y'all perform?
1: At least with Fifth. Okay. <laughs> that, that's kind of our stick. Great. When we were first getting together, we we're kind of like, okay, we, we can't be one of those bands that just like shows up in street clothes. Like that that's uh-huh. that's kind of the norm. And yeah. I think it was my bass player that came up with the idea. He's like,
2: yeah,
1: let's wear pajamas. And so yeah. it stuck. And <laughs> the, the first gig, we were all wearing these onesies with feet, and they, uh-huh. they were just horrendously hot, you know? We we played like a 15 minute set and I think by the end of the first song I was practically naked because I had taken the the top off. I was just sweating. (laughs) Uh, So then we got into more sensible cotton pajamas.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. It was was nice watching y'all play in San Francisco when I went to one of your performances. Jeff, thank you so much. Jesse, thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being vulnerable, sharing with us your experiences. Um, I'm gonna share you know, all the resources that you talked about on my website, on your show notes, Great. so that people can um, take a look at that and also get in contact with you too. Thanks, Jesse. Best of luck in your consulting. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to partner with you. I can't <laughs> wait.
1: All
0: right, so that wraps the show. Thank you so much for listening, and I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn and also follow the Feed Learning page too. And if you haven't noticed yet, This song that you're hearing, it's performed by Jeff and his band Fifth, and it's called On the Farm. So I'll let you rock out to it. See you later. Bye.